morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us uh, right now uh, from an off-site campus or online. Uh, we're glad that you guys are along. For those of you in this room, we're just glad you stopped by on the way to the beach. Okay? So let's get that all clear. Uh, it's good to have uh, my father with us. Dad has moved out. He does a class every Tuesday night here at the church, and he's on the front row. And then my brother and sister-in-law uh, are visiting with us, Jeff and Sherry, and we're glad that they're here, and, and uh, our entire family. And then uh, Brittany, who is Jeff and Sherry's daughter, recently moved out, and she works in our sound department, and she got a weekend off, and so she's sitting with mom and dad today. But we're glad all of you guys are, you guys are here. Hey, uh, let me ask this. When's the last time you were faced with a situation that, uh, a, t a tough situation that, that you had no background, there's nothing in your history that says, oh, this is how you handle this. You, re you remember a time like that? Let, let, me, uh, let me give you one. Now, this is a story that I've told before. It's been a few years. If you've heard it before, just pretend like you haven't because it's a really good story. So here's the deal. Debbie and I are living in northern Illinois, and uh, we're pastoring a small church, and we live in a parsonage, which is the preacher's house right next door. And so since you're next door to the church, you're liable to have some interesting drop-ins. Any, anybody kind of got an idea what that's like? Well, well, one night we had more than a drop-in. It was a scary situation. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, and uh, I wake up with some noise, and there's a guy in my bedroom door uh, in the dark that's got a, a lighter in front of his face, and so he just looks haunting as can be. And I, 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 I'm startled awake, you know, and I'm thinking, hmm, <laughs> what's going on here, you know? It's, so I, I recognize him as being a kid in the church. Now, later they found out that he was on Angel Dust, PCP, uh, which is just a, a violent, inducing drug. But so I yelled at him and said, Doug, what are you doing in our house? Get out of here. At which point he yelled, I'm not Doug, in a kind of a growly voice, and he jumped on me in bed. And he grabbed my hair. That's back when I had hair. He grabbed my hair here and pulled my neck back and then put something on my neck and said, I've got a knife. I'm going to slit your throat. I'm going to kill you if you move. This is not a situation that I was prepared for or seminary training or anything. What happens when an angry sheep jumps on you in the middle of the night? You know, I mean, I just, they just don't have that in the curriculum. I didn't know what to do. Do I move? If I do, will he kill me? What do I do? So I froze. Debbie, however, didn't freeze. And uh, she jumped up, went to the lights, turned the lights on, and then came and jumped in the bed and started wailing on Doug, which saved my life. Okay? Saved my life. Now, Doug went running out of the house. He thought he was going to die. And uh, ultimately, he was arrested and all kind of things. But uh, it was a traumatic experience. We laugh about it, but it was very, very traumatic. I mean, we slept with our lights on for a long time, made sure our doors were locked. Um, Debbie slept for several weeks with, on her side of the bed, a baseball bat, a hammer, and a knife. We didn't have guns, you know. And so, and so if he would have come the next night, they would have had to identify him by dental records. I don't know if you know that's true. <laughs> So kind of funny today, tra traumatic. We didn't lose a lot. You know, I lost a little hair, a little blood, and my man card that night. But that, that's about it. <laughs> and maybe you'll never face a situation like that. I pray that you won't. 
or one that's life-threatening, but, but you, uh, you, you could be facing something right now that you find yourself over your head. In fact, it may be a job situation, or it may be a physical confrontation, or it could be a spiritual battle, or it could be a financial setback, or it could be a relational or a health uh, challenge. Uh, what, what, what do you do? And I want to talk about that a little bit today. And some of you are going, boy, this is right where I live right now. And that's good. For the rest of you, I've got kind of bad news and good news. Bad news is you're going to be there at some point. It's called life. Good news is I think we've got some principles that will be powerful. People have said this weekend, this, these are some things we can really use. What we're going to do is we're going to study uh, the life of Stephen uh, in the Bible. We're kind of tracking through the book of Acts. We're calling it A.D. And we are uh, looking at... The, the birth of the New Testament church, and Stephen is one of the characters, and we're going to study how he responded in the toughest of circumstances that actually required his life, and he really did well, and he responded well, and we can learn from him. I thought about calling this how to get stoned without losing your head, but I thought that would be disrespectful, and especially after Ernest Smith last week suggested Doritos uh, for a response time at their church in Colorado because of the whole pot thing, so we're just not going to say that at all. <laughs> what can we learn? Let me give you a little background on Stephen. This is kind of what, what we know about him. We don't know a lot. He's introduced in Acts chapter 6. Now in Acts chapter 6, we've got a startup church going crazy. A startup church with a problem. They've had people added to their church every day. Some days as many as 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 people. Now, if you've ever been in a startup business, you know it can be crazy. I mean, you've got this big idea that you're excited about, and then you find yourself working in the details. You're exhausted. You're getting up earlier. You're staying awake later. Uh, but nothing you're doing is keeping up. And then you find yourself kind of overlooking some things that are important. And that's what's happening with this startup church. The leaders are overlooking the, the, um, the ministry to widows. Um, Apparently, uh, there was a widow's list, and it was kind of stringent on the qualifications of getting on that, and then the church would take care of them. And the Jerusalem widows, the ones that were local, uh, seemed to be doing okay. But the Grecian widows, the ones from Greece that were there, and probably not only without husbands, but uh, without jobs uh, because of the uh, kind of the religious situation that they find themselves in, they're not getting their fair share. And so there's a lot of complaining. People are angry. They're lifting their voice. And so the leaders say, we've got to do something about that. And this, this is where we find Stephen coming in. And on your outline sheet, there's a verse, uh, and you can kind of just follow along while I read it. It says, so the 12, the 12 are, are, are the leaders, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, they're not demeaning waiting on tables. They're not demeaning the necessary ministry to the widows, as you'll see in just a minute, they solved the thing. But what they understand is that um, they've got to stay focused on, on what only they can do. And a lot of times in a business, you're very, very tempted to, because of all the things that needed to be done, uh, or, or if you're in church work or wherever it happens to be, to get off of what you need to be doing for the benefit of the entire group and, and onto something that someone else could do. And that's what they're saying. They're saying it would be bad for us to leave 
the ministry of the word to wait tables. And so here's what they said. They said, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them. And Stephen is one of the ones that was chosen. In fact, the next verse says that proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and several other guys. Okay? And apparently, Stephen and the other guys do their job well. The waiting of the tables, the, the caring for the widows. Apparently they do it well. Next verse. It says, so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Just a thought. Just a thought. You don't have to be at the top of the org chart to have a major impact on the outcome of what's going on. There are some of you here today that literally you're waiting tables. And you're wondering, how does my job matter? Or maybe in ministry, you're kind of down the food chain a ways, and, and you wonder, does anybody care, or does it matter? And the answer to that is yes. Stephen is doing a job that would seem to be even below his qualifications, but he does it well. He does it wholeheartedly. He does it filled with the Spirit, and the whole organization is lifted as a part of it. And I believe that's something that we as Christians ought to do in the business world, in the community, wherever we are, is that we lift the organization because it doesn't matter where we are, we do what we do as unto the Lord. And we do it well. And so that's what Stephen did. Now, I also believe in the principle that if you do small things well, that God will trust you with larger things. And that seems to be what happens with Stephen because as you look at the next uh, verse, uh, it says this. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So he, he, he doesn't just wait tables. He considers that to be a worthy job. But God trusts him with more, gives him even more gifts. It says he used them for God's glory. And so he's doing miracles. He's, he's doing great things in the community. You would think that other people would say, wow, that's awesome, man, let's just applaud. I got the pom-poms on for Stephen. Go for it. Well, it doesn't seem to be the case. It says, opposition arose. Next verse. However, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. He's doing great things, and the first thing that happens is he has opposition. Opposition arose. Here's the principle. If you step up and decide to do the extraordinary, somebody's going to try to chop you down. You say, you know what, I'm going to make something of my life. I'm going to do my best in school. I'm going to be the best that I can be as an employer, employee, employee, whatever it happens to be. Somebody's going to chop you down. Somebody said that there's only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. And Stephen says, I'm not going to do that. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to let a little criticism stop me from doing something great for God. See, Stephen cared more about making a difference than fitting in. And that's a word for some of you here today. Some of you may be encountering criticism for the good things that you're doing and you're wondering if it's worth it. And I would say to you, go for it. Be more concerned about making a difference than you are about just fitting in. And so, and so Stephen, Stephen does. And uh, he continues... He continues to do what God's called him to do. Next verse. 
It says, but they could not stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit gave him as he spoke. This verse gives me hope. And it ought to give you hope too. Well, here's what it's saying. You've got all these smart people and, and uh, with all kinds of credentials and education and position, and they're opposing Stephen, and it says that they, they, couldn't, they couldn't argue with him because of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't because Stephen was smarter, because he wasn't. It wasn't because he was the most eloquent, because he wasn't. Here's what it was. He's spirit-filled. He is so full of God, and the Spirit is speaking through him. Well, nobody can argue with him. See, that's something you and I can achieve. You might not be the smartest. I know I'm not. You might not be the most educated, the most eloquent. But you can be so full of God's Holy Spirit that you stand out and you make a difference. And, and, and so that was, that was the case with Stephen. And so if they can't get him with the truth, they're going to get him with lies. Look, look at what's next. It says, uh, Acts uh, 6.11, it says, Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. He never said this stuff. But what they did is they, they brought him into the Sanhedrin, and they're going to put him on trial. Now, that's Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 7 is Stephen's response. And uh, it's about 50 verses of Stephen just going through Israelite history. And he talks about Moses. And he talks about Abraham. Basically, he's, he's uh, given his street creds for being authentic, for being really somebody that cares about the plan of God. And then he comes down to the end of it, and he says this. He said, if you look at our history, he said, every time God sent a prophet, you destroyed him. You'd crucify him, you'd persecute him, you'd send him out, you'd stone him. Every time the people of Israel has done that. And he says, and you've just done it again. He said, Jesus, who came and did mighty works among you, and you crucified him. Now, how many of you know that did not make them happy? Okay, so here's, look, look at the next verse. This, this is really, this is really in, in, interesting. This says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Have you ever been mad enough to gnash your teeth? I haven't, but apparently that's a really mad state of mind. And so they're all <laughs> gnashing their teeth at Stephen. <laughs> and it's, and it's going to get dangerous here. So what did Stephen do? And what can you do when you're cornered by unreasonable people or you're faced with literally impossible circumstances that your background says, you've never faced this before? What do you do? Let's look at Stephen. When you're in a tough situation, here's three things, three things. Number one, look up. This is so crucial. Look up. Look what Stephen did. It says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up. The first thing that you need to do when you're faced with a tough, over-your-head type circumstance is to get your eyes focused in the right direction. Now, let me ask you a question. Right now, if, if we were to take kind of a survey, just kind of a dip in your life, um, and I asked you, how happy are you right now? What would you say? Uh, in fact, I want you to do this. I want you on your outline sheet. I'd like you to just put, um, put a number. Uh, number one means I have never been so miserable in my life. Okay? Right now, I'm the most miserable I have ever been. A 10, you're going to be somewhere between these two. A 10 says, 
you know, if it was any better, I'd be twins. Okay, if I was any better, I'd be twins. Or, or you know, I am so happy right now, I've got to sit on my hands right now because I'd be applauding the whole time. Okay, that's number 10 or number 1. Where are you at? Are you a 7, 8? Where are you at? Kind of, in fact, on your outline sheet, just kind of put a number. Of where, and you don't need to talk to your wife or your husband, okay? It's not their deal. It's your deal, okay? In fact, you may want to hide the number from your spouse. You know, it just all depends on where you are. Where are you at? Happiness, 1 to 10. Now, here's what I know. I know that if you're not a 9 or a 10, if you didn't write down a 9 or a 10, you would say to me, if we had a conversation on it, you would say, you know, I would be, but there are some circumstances in our lives right now. It might be with the kids. It might be with our health. It might be with our finances. It could be, you know, at job or career, any of a number of things that kind of keep it from being a 9 or a 10. So we're at about a 7 or maybe a 6 or maybe even a 4. Now, if I was to say to you, okay, I will guarantee everybody in this room that within 24 hours, you can be a 9 or 10. You can be exuberantly happy. I guarantee it. What would you say to me? And, and, and I say this. You'd say, well, how much money are you giving me? No, 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 no. No, no, that doesn't make happiness. It helps, but it doesn't make happiness. Okay? Uh, you don't change your circumstance at all, but I'm going to help you to be a nine or a ten. So you say, okay, I'll take the challenge. How do you do that? Well, can I tell you that the next 24 hours is going to be brutal? Because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call your lawyer. I'm going to tell your lawyer to call you and tell you that you're being sued and that you're going to lose everything. Then I'm going to call your doctor. I'm going to have your doctor call you up and say, you know what, you were in for an appointment you know, a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, whatever, and we said everything was fine. Well, we've re-looked at all that stuff. And you've got a terminal disease. You're going to die, probably six months. Then I'm going to call your spouse or your husband or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. And I'm going to say, I want you to tell them that you don't love them anymore. That there's somebody else and you just like to be friends. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. And, then, and, and then I'm going to figure out who your favorite like Christian artist or speaker or whatever is, author. And I'm going to have them post something on a website that you would read that says, I no longer believe the Bible is true. I no longer believe in Jesus. In fact, I'm an atheist now. Okay? And so I'm going to do all of those things. And then 24 hours from now, I'm going to call you up and I'm going to say, ah, not true. It's all a joke. You have your, you know, your, uh, your health and, and your, your nest egg and your faith and, and your friend. You, you've got it all. It's not true. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to want to kill me if you can. That's why I'm calling you. I'm not doing it in person. You want to kill me. But for a few moments, you are going to be a 9 or a 10. Right? <laughs> it's my fourth service. Give me some grace. Or I will call down lightning from heaven on you. You think you're miserable now. You just wait. So yeah, you're going to be excited because, because what? Did anything change in your life? No. That's what you're looking at. How many of you would agree that perspective means everything? Your future happiness depends on what you're looking at right now. And that's why Stephen looked up. He looked up. 
when you're in a tough situation, the first thing you want to do is get your eyes focused in the right direction. What did Stephen see? I believe he saw the same thing that teenage kids in Mosul, Iraq, saw just a few months ago when people came to them and said, deny your faith or die. And they said, no, we're not going to do it. And they were martyred. And I believe they looked up. And I believe they saw the same thing that Stephen saw. See, see, I believe this. I believe that there is a special work of the Holy Spirit. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. There is a special work of the Holy Spirit for Christians who are in crisis. It might be a severe financial crisis. It might be a health crisis. It might be a crisis unto death. There is a work of the Holy Spirit. Things that you say, I could never go through that. And God gives you the grace to go through. My friend Billy Hornsby, who was a co-founder with myself uh, with the Ark, he was on staff here and he became our first president. Just an awesome guy. And uh, about three or four years ago, um, he died of cancer. He's 63 years old. And, and uh, the, the last, like, three months were just, he suffered a lot. And I have never seen anything like the grace that he had in my life. I, I tell people all the time, Billy taught me a lot in life, but he taught me most things in death. There was a grace about him. You'd go visit him, and it, I, I saw lines of people outside hospital doors visiting Billy and and they'd come in to express their love and condolences, and they'd come out full of the Holy Spirit because Billy had implanted something in them. Um, he told me over and over and over again in the last month of his life, he said, Greg, here's what I want you to say to people. You tell these young church planters that there is no fear in death. He said, I'm there. I've experienced it. There is no fear in death. In fact, finally I had to say, Billy, time out. I got you. I will say it, okay? But there was a grace it was a, and Stephen had that grace. And he looked up, and the Bible says that he saw, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen, as he looked up, he saw Jesus, and suddenly it put his situation in perspective. This isn't the end of my life. This is the end of my earthly life, but there is so much more for me. So what about you? You may be facing some really tough circumstances right now. It may, someone may have pronounced a death sentence over your body or your relationships, over your career, your family, your finances. I want to invite you to do what Stephen did. Look up. Look up and see Jesus. Look what Paul says in Colossians 3 and verse 1. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. If you're discouraged today, you need to look up. If you're unhappy, you need to look up. If you're afraid, you need to look up. If you're overwhelmed, you need to look up. If you feel lost, you need to look up. If you feel hopeless, you need to look up. If you feel like the deck is stacked against you, you need to look up and set your mind on things above. What looks like the end is just the beginning of God's work in your life. And so when you're facing tough circumstances, first thing you do is look up. 
Here's the second thing you do, is look ahead. You look up and you see Jesus and you look ahead. Because when you look around, when you should be looking ahead, trouble happens. You can lose ground if you look around rather than looking ahead. A story in the Bible, most of you are familiar with, uh, Peter walking on water. Remember that story? The disciples are exhausted. They've had a big ministry season. They get out in a boat. Jesus said, I'll see you on the other side. They take off. There's wind. There's wind against them. You know, it just seems like when you're, you're tired, when you're exhausted, even after something good happens, it just seems like you can't get a, a tailwind. You got a headwind, and that's, that's what they've got is just a headwind. And so, and so one of them looks out and he sees Jesus walking on the water. He doesn't know it's Jesus. So there's a ghost, and the Bible says they're all afraid. And then one of them recognizes, I think it's Jesus. And then Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call me out of the boat. And so he does, and Peter gets out of the boat, and he walks on water toward Jesus. And then what does he do? He looked up, he saw Jesus, then he starts to look around and, and he sees the wind and the waves and so he starts to sink and Jesus comes and he rescues him. That's why it's so important that after you look up, you need to look ahead. Some of you went on the men's hike last week. I know because I saw a bunch of men hugging each other in the foyer and that doesn't happen very often. And so, or maybe you had this incredible experience with God recently and you, you got back to work or you got home and you started to look around and you saw the circumstances again and, and you start to sink. That's what happens. You need to look up and then you need to look, look ahead. You need to look ahead, not, not, look, a, not look around, okay? So, so you lose ground when you start looking around at other people. I can imagine Stephen was tempted to look around. He was tempted to compare his circumstances with others. Because in Acts chapter 5, you've got a whole group of leaders who were doing the same thing Stephen was. They got arrested for it, and then an angel came and released them. And I can imagine Stephen was at least tempted to go, where's my angel? You know, they, they got an angel. I didn't get an angel. And you feel that way. Sometimes when you're in a tough situation and you look around, you look at your neighbor and they're doing okay and you know that they're not any better than you are and sometimes you, you quantify them as worse than you are and you say, why them? Why do they get the breaks? Why do they get the promotion? Where's my angel? They got an angel. And then you're left in waves of self-pity and no better than you were before. In tough circumstances, rather than look around, you got to look ahead. I'm going to run the race that God has for me. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to keep looking at Jesus. I'm going to trust God with the outcome. And so what did Stephen see when he looked ahead to Jesus? Acts 7.56, it says, look, I, 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 I see heaven open. And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He saw Jesus at the right hand of Father making intercession for him, working things out for his good. Now, his circumstances didn't change. In fact, they got worse. They took him outside the city and, um, and they, they began to stone him. And the, the Bible says that there was a, a guy standing there that they all put their jackets down in front of him. In other words, he was the leader and his name was Saul. It's the first time we meet Saul. And so his circumstances got worse. But he saw Jesus and he looked straight ahead. Now I'm going to take a little liberty here because the television series that we're tracking on takes a lot of liberty. So I'll just take a little bit. I wonder what Jesus was saying to the Father. I wonder if it sounded something like this. Father, there's Stephen. 
You remember him. Full of the Holy Spirit, they chose him and we lifted him up to be one who served tables and served widows. And he took that responsibility seriously and he did well and we gave him more responsibility. And he became one who worked miracles and he preached the gospel. And now he's standing before men who are going to stone him and and it's within our will that this happen and this be the end of his life, but it's not going to be the end end. In fact, Father, look at that guy over there, the guy they call Saul. This is his first encounter with a Christian like Stephen, and he's watching, and Stephen doesn't know it, but in the next few minutes and seconds, at the end of his earthly life, are going to be the most crucial times that he's ever lived because his response in this moment is going to impact Saul. And Saul's going to have an encounter with me in just a few days and he's going to change his name and he's going to become Paul and he's going to write most of the New Testament and become the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen and he's going to win hundreds and thousands and millions to the cause. And it's going to start with Stephen and Stephen's response. And then after that's over, we're going to bring him home. And the good stuff just starts. See, here's what I know about your current tough situation. is no matter how tough it is, if you'll look up and then keep looking ahead, God will use it for his glory and ultimately turn it out for your good. In fact, the, the Saul who became Paul later on in Scripture wrote this to us. He said, for our light and momentary troubles, it's 2 Corinthians 4 are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Where's the first time he saw that? It was in Stephen, when he saw Stephen. See, I love artists who paint. On First Wednesday, if you've never been to a First Wednesday, you need to, you need to come. It's my favorite service of the entire month. In fact, we do Sundays so we can have a first Wednesday. I love it. And uh, oftentimes we'll have painters that will be painting along with the musicians that sing, and they're interpreting what they're feeling and what's going on during the service. And oftentimes I'm sitting right there, and it's fun to watch the painters, especially when they've got one that doesn't reveal itself right away. And I'm watching it and going, I wonder what that is. Sometimes I'll even think, boy, that's ugly. I could do that, you know, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> While I'm worshiping Jesus, you know, and, and so... And I love it when at the last minute they have a reveal. Maybe they turn it upside down or suddenly you see, especially when you see Jesus in it, you go, wow, that's incredible. Well, you know what? God is the master painter. You have no idea the magnitude of the reveal that he has planned for your life. You have no idea who's in the wings who's watching you in a difficult time. Maybe they don't even know Jesus. But maybe it's a setup, it's a reveal. And God says, you look up, you look ahead. Somebody's going to see that. And the impact they're going to make on your family, those around you, maybe the kingdom, whatever, is going to be more than you could ever imagine. And maybe he'll let you see it, or maybe you'll see it like P, uh, Stephen did. Stephen saw it from glory. He saw it from Jesus. He didn't see Saul turn to Paul until he'd given his life and it was living forever with the Lord. So, look up and see Jesus. Look ahead and focus on God's plan for you. There's one more. This one will really require that you be spirit-filled. 
is this. Look back. Look back. Not looking back at what could have been or should have been, but take one last look back. Is there any unfinished business? Look at how it worked itself out with Stephen. It said, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. There, there's, so much, there's so much in here. I don't have time to do it all. There's, there's hope for all of us that at the end of our life or a loved one's life, this is what it is. We fall asleep in Jesus and we awake with him in eternity. There's such a difference between Stephen and the religious leader. Stephen told the truth about them and they were so full of anger that they wanted to kill him. They told lies about him and stoned him and he was so full of love that he wanted to make sure that they were forgiven. You know, forgiveness is a really big deal. We talk about forgiveness a lot here because it's the one skill everybody needs to learn. You're going to get hurt in life. Sometimes it's unintentional. Sometimes it's intentional. There are people that want to throw rocks at you. Some of you are getting rocks thrown right now. People want to hurt you. You've got to learn to deal with that. And the only way to deal with it is forgiveness. Now, in my own life, I know that I need to forgive because God told me to. I know need to forgive because God has forgiven me. I need to forgive because I'm going to need to be forgiven at some point in the future. I need to forgive because unforgiveness will destroy my life and my relationship. So I understand that. I saw something in Stephen this week that I've never seen before. I'm, I'm going I'm to tell you, tell you what it is. You know, in forgiveness, there are probably three ways to do it. You can do it just out of the willpower. I'm, I'm going to forgive because I know I should. Or you can do it how I kind of have most of my life, and that's to go, you know what? 2 Peter 2.24 says that, that Jesus, rather than curse the people that were crucifying him, trusted himself to him who judges justly. And so if somebody has wronged me, I can't judge them because it'll spoil who I am. I'm not created for it. I don't have all the facts. And so I'm going to trust that God will judge them justly. And most of the time I'm thinking, he will have them hit by a truck, you know, that type of thing. Okay? And God does various things. But I forgive them because I don't have that responsibility. God, you do it. Here's a third way of forgiving. And it's what a spirit drenched, spirit-empowered, spirit-filled believer does. You see it in Stephen. He's kneeling there. And they're throwing rocks and they're hitting him. And he knows this is the end of his life. Rather than saying, God, just deal with these animals. Deal with these people who aren't even human. You know that what I'm doing is right. Or even saying, God, you judge justly. He looks around, takes a look back, and he says, God, don't hold it against them. I don't care if they get away with it. I don't really care how you judge them. Just don't hold it against them. What kind of forgiveness is that? There's people in your life 
who are throwing rocks at your reputation, who are throwing rocks at your life, at your finances or whatever. And that's just to say, God, not only do I forgive them, but would you not hold it against them? I got to be honest with you. I can't do that. I don't think you can either. The only way that that's going to happen is a work of the Holy Spirit. See, spirit-filled love doesn't care what somebody else's attitude or response is. Spirit-filled love is so full of the Spirit. They're looking up at Jesus. They're looking ahead. And then they're saying, I want to take everybody with me that I can. God, don't hold it against them. God, don't let this be the thing that keeps them from eternity with you. I'll tell one last story. Kind of embarrassed by it, actually, but I'll tell it. It seems to have had a good impact this weekend. As most of you know, a few years ago, we tried to enlarge our building, and we had a great dream, I felt like. Good dream. We're, we want to reach more people for Jesus, and, and we're full up, and we need to enlarge the building. And Jeff and Sherry were here at the time. And uh, the town of Mount Pleasant, last minute, said, no, you can't do that. And so that's kind of what sprung the whole idea of multi-site, doing it in multiple locations, which sprang that idea all over the United States and in the world. And, uh, but, but in the, in the, in the you know, we talk about that. Jeff consults every week just about with people about multi-site around the world. I do a lot of that too. And I've worked through all of that, and it's a good thing, and I can see that God had our best interests in mind, not just of our church, but of the church as a whole. But there's some residue. There was one guy who said to friends, and it got back to me, that I'm going to do everything I can to make Greg Surratt's life miserable. I'm going to live to make his life miserable. I didn't even know the guy. At first, I kind of laughed about that and thought, that's a really a great cause to live for, you know. But then it began to bother me. And then, and then, and then uh, one of the things, one of the things that they said was that, um, that we, we want you to plant such a buffer and a barrier that you can't even see the building from Long Point Road, as if the building was going to be a pariah, something that you don't want somebody to see. And it's a bigger, bigger bur barrier. You can look uh, at the shopping center around, you can look everywhere else. We, and we had to plant a grove of trees that was very, very thick right out here. Now, if you're listening to me online, maybe you can't see this, but this building, Long Point Road, is just right out to my left. And we have our offices across the street. And when you walk across the street from the offices, you've got to walk around this grove of trees to get to the building and to see the building. And except for I don't, I walk through the grove of trees because that's just the way I roll. <laughs> and to be honest with you, many times when I looked at that grove of trees, there would be something that would spark inside of me that would say, this isn't fair. I know there's a better picture. I know there's a bigger picture. But somebody did this out of vengeance. This isn't fair. And about two years ago, I was walking across through those trees, and I had a Holy Spirit moment. And the Spirit said, you're looking at the wrong things. You need to look up. Look up at Jesus. And then I want you to look ahead to the path that you've got. 
And I want you to look at these trees, and I want you to see them differently. This seriously happened to me in a moment. So rather than trees of spite, I want you to see in every tree and the branches that come off of those trees, nations, denominations, and churches that now do multi-site all over the world. There are tens of thousands of them with hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people that worship in situations like that, that the only way that it came about is because your dream had to die in that grove of trees. And when your dream died, then my dream became a reality. There are some of you today that you've got a dream and it feels like it's died and you don't understand and there may have been people throwing rocks at you and it may be, it may be something that's beyond your understanding. And you're here today because God wants to say to you, if you'll allow your dream to die, let me raise it up with new life in a way that you could never dream and that you could never imagine. And what I want you to do is I want you to look up, look ahead, and then look back at whoever needs to be forgiven. And if you'll do that, then I'll do things that, that are impossible. The only way to do what Stephen did is to be filled with what Stephen was filled with. And I want to pray for you right now, here at the campuses or online, that we would all be filled with the love of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for just our time together. And uh, I thank you for the stories from the Bible that are so alive, so real, so contemporary, and so close to our hearts. And so, God, I pray that your kingdom would come in the next few minutes. Pray that your will would be done among us. God, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit in whatever way that you choose. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.